We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Tuesday edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast. It is Tuesday, March 8th. Nick Whalen here, as always, with Alex Barutha. We are presented by WinBet. Make sure you're checking out winbet.com. Find it on doing any sports wagering. Uh, conference championship week going on. NCAA tournament begins next week. Plenty of opportunities to win money uh, at WinBet, uh, the presenting sponsor of all Rotowire podcasts. A lot to get to today. Alex, I want to kind of repeat what we did midway through last week when we went through every team in the Western Conference, or excuse me, in the Eastern Conference, um, as fast as we could. You know, I, I didn't want to set a firm timer on it. You know, in general, one to two minutes per team. Some teams we went four to five minutes. Other teams, I think the Knicks, we spent like 45 seconds on. Uh, I assume we'll have a similar outcome uh, as we now zoom through the Western Conference. But a couple of quick news items that I want to get into uh, before we do our team-by-team hits. Jared Allen, out indefinitely. Uh, kind of the worst possible news at the worst possible time for fantasy basketball players. Uh, obviously, the injury is big, but not having a timetable is even bigger. Uh, I know in my Yahoo head-to-head league, the playoffs start next week. Uh, luckily, I do not have Allen in that league, but I have him in a couple of others. And it's just one of those situations where, like, if you have an IR spot, not that big of a deal unless you have multiple other players on IR right right now. Um, but it, it's such a gray area because he's been so good. He's been, I think, just inside the top 30 on the year, due in large part to the fact that until this, he hasn't really missed any time. Uh, but it, it's, it's a really iffy situation for, for fantasy managers because it's, you know, we've seen guys come back and play through injuries like this after a week or two. But this could also be a situation where we don't see Jared Allen again until like the final week of the regular season or maybe even the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I think... Uh... The fact that he's out indefinitely means it's it would not be crazy if you just dropped him uh, in fantasy. As far as who benefits, I mean, <laughs> the one thing about the Cavaliers and the, the thing everyone was so worried about at the beginning of the season was like how many front court players they have. So they're actually 
they're I think they're going to as a team be able to absorb this okay. I mean, it's you can't exactly replace what Jared Allen does, but you slide Evan Mobley to the five, which is his natural position anyway. And then there's more minutes at the the four for Kevin Love and Lori Markinen. Um, so I think they'll be all right from a fantasy perspective, though. I, I assume Markinen is rostered on a lot of teams already, and I assume Kevin Love is the same. But if you're in a shallower league, I guess there's a chance that it's worth picking those guys up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right about having a guy in Mobley who long-term is probably a five. Like having having an opportunity now to kind of try him out there, maybe not full-time, just because you have some other options. You know, I mean, Ed Davis has given them okay minutes, you know, in a couple of emergency situations earlier this year. Like Dean Wade can play up if need be. Um, you know, Love, Markinen, those guys could play small ball five minutes. But I was actually reading today in an article about Chet Holmgren. Um, you know, they're, they're making some comparisons to Evan Mobley and, and kind of what his path could be. Um, and, and they mentioned that that Mobley's only played 12% of his minutes at center this season, which is a lot lower than I would have thought. But at the same time, you have Jared Allen playing 30 to 36 minutes most nights. He's barely missed any time. So, um, you know, I, I guess that adds up. But I, I would have thought he would, would be integrated at center a little bit more than that. Yeah, I looked it up quick. It is uh, it is pretty low. It's like 455 possessions, 488 possessions uh, that Mobley's been at center with the Cavs being plus half a point per 100. Um, and really, it's the offense that's an issue, which isn't too surprising because a lot of those lineups also include like Okoro and Osmond and Dylan Windler. Oh, yeah. oh, so, yeah. uh, Dylan yeah. that could be scoring a lot. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think you do need to play Mobley at the five. I mean, it is a little, you know, they signed Jared Allen to such a long-term contract that uh, you're going to have to keep playing Mobley at the four, I guess. At the same time, it's surprising to me that their season's gone so well. Man, I, I, they're amazing defensively in the, uh, you know, around the basket. Mobley can guard on the perimeter, but Mobley, he's making half a three-pointer per game. He's not stretching the court. Neither is Jared Allen, and Isaac Okoro also really can't shoot that well. So, you know, um, I think it ultimately would be better for them to have Mobley at the five, but, uh, with, you know, unless they trade Allen, I don't really know how that's going to happen more. Yeah, I mean, it seems to be working, obviously. Right. And, you know, they've had some some kind of untimely injuries, the Garland situation, the Levert situation, um, you know, have kind of rubbed some of the luster off of what a great season this has been. But, th- I mean, th- there certainly has not been any reason to think that this pairing uh, cannot work out long-term, especially as Mobley – gets better and better and, and more diverse offensively. Uh, the other major update that, that I want to touch on quickly, uh, and, and maybe we'll return to this when we hit on the Golden State Warriors, but Draymond Green uh, allegedly targeting March 14th, so a week from yesterday. Uh, that's Monday the 14th, a home game against the Wizards for his long-awaited return. I, I believe that'll be, if that timeline holds up, that'll be 31 straight missed games for Draymond, who has not played since January 5th. Uh, against Dallas and he he missed a couple of games before that so really he hasn't been he hasn't been fully available since really right around Christmas he played three straight games from December 20th through the 25th missed two played two and then hasn't played since Um, it's the longer this drags on and and if he comes back and can ramp up and has no further issues I think the Warriors are going to be fine but if if he does come back and he doesn't look like himself or he needs multiple weeks to get back I mean we're, we're getting to the point where the NBA playoffs are going to be starting virtually a month from now and the way that golden state has looked without draymond like if draymond's not 100 percent, I, I don't think this team I, I wouldn't say they're not a finals contender just because i don't think there's a ton of 
you know, strength in the Western Conference at the top outside of Phoenix. So it would really take a major fall off for Golden State for me to say they can't win the title. But I mean, they've they've already, you know, over these last few weeks gone from title favorite, co-title favorite to a team that I think most people now view on kind of a secondary tier. Yeah, I mean, they they need Draymond for so many things. It helps get Steph easy looks. Uh, it really improves their defense because he's a defensive player of the year candidate. I mean, he's top five every single season, one of the most versatile defenders in the NBA, if not the most versatile defender in the NBA. So, I mean, I, I don't think they'd be able to win a title without him. Um, and I, I'm not really sure if they're kind of rushing him back, um, if they've been taking it easy with him. It's kind of hard to get them the specifics on that, but if he is less than a hundred percent, you know, if he just like, can't really get back to uh, where he was in the middle of the year in terms of his play, then it will be tough for them to, to win the West uh, for sure. Especially going up against like a team like Phoenix or even Memphis. Like there's just, there's a lot of like really solid teams in the West. Um, but if Draymond is just not himself, then I think it is kind of like Phoenix ahead of everybody else. Well, speaking of, let's go to the Phoenix Suns. We'll start at the top this time and work our way down the Western conference, uh, kind of the inverse of what we did last week, the Phoenix suns, number one in the West by eight games uh, over Memphis, which is currently number two, golden States, number three. Uh, so Phoenix essentially has the number one seed sewn up, which is good news considering Devin Booker still out. Chris Paul likely going to miss the rest of the regular season, but they built enough of a cushion, took advantage when the warriors have been struggling for the last month. And, and again, we can put pretty much put them in pen, as the number one seed, but uh, kind of using the same frame that we did last week, what is the first thing that comes to the, to, comes to your mind when you're thinking of the Phoenix Suns right now? Well, right now it's that they're without Chris Paul and uh, that he's going to, I, I think we have him back early April. I think that's kind of the guess. Uh, and that might be optimistic, um, you know, based on the, the broken right thumb. I mean, without him, they're doing Okay. You know, like it, they, I think they're three and three since he got hurt, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I just, hopefully he'll be healthy for the, for the playoffs. But I, I think if they don't have Chris Paul, then they can't, I mean, I guess they could still win the West in theory, but I, I would be very hesitant to, to have confidence in them if they're without Chris Paul. Yeah. I mean, long-term, obviously you're not, you're probably not going to win more than one playoff series without Chris Paul, but I do think things are breaking their, their way, at least for the potential one, eight matchup, because there is still that window for Kawhi or Paul George to return, but neither of those guys seem all that close to returning now or any closer now than they were a month ago. And, you know, the, the, the window for those guys, not only to come back, but to ramp up is rapidly closing. So, you know, even if Paul George were to come back like April 4th, you know, what does he play in two or three games? And then round one of the playoff starts against a potential 60 win Suns team. Like, I think the Suns are going to be in good shape. You know, if Chris Paul needs some time to integrate, they're going to have a pretty big advantage, whether it's the Clippers or the Lakers or the Pelicans uh, playing in round one. But but you're totally right. If, if Chris Paul is still hampered at all when we get to round two, when you're potentially playing the Jazz or the Warriors or the Mavs or the Nuggets, like you, you pretty much need to be at full strength, I think, to make it through the West, even though this feels like it's overall a diminished version of the Western Conference that we've come to know for the last 20 years. Yeah, and, and when you're factoring in Chris Paul into it, I mean, the main thing I just think about at this point is they're they're just a machine, right? They're just like a regular season machine in the way the Bucks were um, before winning the title. You know, they're they're like plus 
they're like a plus nine point differential team. Their second best lineup is plus 20, which has JaVale McGee at center instead of DeAndre Ayton, which is weird. But um, yeah, I it's just I, I, they were they hung with the Bucks like the entire way through the, the NBA finals. I feel like they deserve to be there. So, um, you know, obviously, like first things first, Chris Paul. But then after that, I, there's no reason they can't win the title. The Memphis Grizzlies, 44 and 22, coming off of a kind of a weird loss to the Houston Rockets in their last game. Uh, again, eight games behind the Phoenix Suns for the one seed, uh, but currently ahead of the Warriors for the two. Chances that Memphis hangs on to the two over Golden State? Um, I think it's I think it's possible. Um, I mean, Golden State's trending down while Memphis is trending up slash neutral. So I think I think it's a good chance they stick in the number two spot. I think so. I feel like the team that has momentum, and I think ultimately the team that probably cares a little more about it. You know, I mean, for a team that doesn't really have any kind of playoff success with this core, you know, something to hang your hat on. You know, it's finishing strong, getting the two seed, especially over a team like Golden State that seemed like it had such a commanding lead on that spot, or at least one of the top two spots for most of the season. So I, I think I could see Memphis gunning for it, whereas. I mean, for the Warriors, the next month is making sure Draymond's as healthy as possible, continuing to kind of integrate Clay, getting him as much up to speed as you can. Whereas if you're the Grizzlies, like everything's rolling right now. You know, you, you really have no reason to take your foot off the gas. And um, you know, something that's been mentioned on, on a lot of pods and, and articles that I've been reading lately is the possibility of teams like Memphis and Golden State, um, even Utah and Dallas, you know, kind of trying to over the final two weeks of the season, you know, pick your own matchup, essentially, you know, strategically resting guys, you know, kind of picking and choosing which games you maybe drop on purpose. Is there a, a certain matchup for Memphis, whether they're the two or the three that you would either really like if you're them or one that would scare you? Um, You know, I don't know off the top of my head. I mean, I think they would have, I'm trying to think of like the Steven Adams equation part of this. I don't think you want to play a team that has like a strong defensive point guard you know like if you play utah are they gonna put are they gonna put donovan mitchell on john morant um you know if you play denver how's the adams Jokic thing match up is there is there a team that you think that they should be angling for or really try to avoid not necessarily i i don't think that there's any team that i would view as like an automatic win like even minnesota in the seven you know if they if they were to get out of the play in and and retain that spot it's like that's not a guaranteed win. I mean, Memphis is certainly the better team, but I don't, I don't think on Minnesota's best night versus Memphis's best night. Like, I don't think there's a massive gap there at all. And, you know, if you're talking nuggets, you're going up against potentially the two-time reigning MVP, uh, you know, Dallas, you're going up against Luca, who's been a monster in the playoffs, Utah, you know, always a tough team for everybody to face. Like if I'm Memphis, I almost feel like I'd rather play Utah because there's this weird like pressure around the jazz that like, we're like, they know it has to work this year. And they've kind of had these weird starts to the postseason in the past where it kind of feels like they could lose to anybody. And, and more often than not, they've battled back. But, you know, last year they, they took that weird loss to the Clippers. Like, I, I, would, I don't know if I would target playing Utah if I was Memphis. And, and mathematically, that's a pretty tough matchup based on how the seedings break down right now. Like, I, I wouldn't be going out of my way to play the Jazz. But, yeah, I don't know. Maybe this discussion means that you just play it out and see how it goes. Like, there's to me, there's not an obvious team you want to play unless you are in a position to angle yourself to play the Clippers or the Lakers or the Pelicans. 
The Jazz are interesting to me because Utah can kind of go like the traditional center route and have Adams deal with Gobert, or they can throw Jaron Jackson Jr. at the five and have that floor spacing option. And um, one one thing that's interesting about the Grizzlies season too, they're they're this successful, forty four and twenty two, and Dylan Brooks has barely played, or at least yep. like he's kind of been out of the picture for a while. I mean, he has the best on off uh, numbers on the whole team. Last season in the playoffs, he averaged 26 a game on 19 shots and was just like, I mean, the defense he was playing on some guys was was amazing. So like, yeah, the the fact that they're getting him back, you know, and you can have him to throw at a guy like Donovan Mitchell or Luka Doncic and uh, or something like that is I think people that's not really being discussed. Yeah, very true. I mean, I they could get him back before the end of the week. He's not going to play tonight, uh, but I think they're off the next two days, and then he could play as soon as Friday, and I believe they play again on Sunday. So it sounds like he's going to have kind of the perfect ramp-up period where he'll get to play for probably a little less than a month uh, and, and get his bearings back before the playoffs. And, man, Memphis has so much depth out of nowhere. You know, like a lot of these guys, I don't think, even this time last year, you would have been a lot shakier on some of their role players. But, you know, the step forward that Bain has taken, like D'Anthony Belton's been a lot more consistent. Zaire Williams, like I, I'm still not convinced that he's the best player to start every night for them uh, over Dylan Brooks, you know, when, when Brooks is hurt, but um, he's given them good minutes. And I, I think it's probably a good thing that Brooks, you know, ends up taking some of Zaire's minutes come playoff time. Um, and then all that being tied together by John Morant, you know, going from very good young prospect, but ultimately not necessarily like a super winning player last year to the complete opposite of that this year. Um, I mean, they're, they're, they just continue to be a team that I, I'm more and more convinced is, more than just a flash in the pan or more, more than a team that's arrived like a year or two early. Like, I, I think, you know, we can talk about this on the, on the flip side. And like, if you're, if you're a team like Dallas or Denver or Minnesota, I, I think you might want to avoid Memphis in round one. Yeah. Memphis, um, they're kind of playing with house money at this point. Like they, I, I think they have tons of confidence. The momentum is in their favor. I don't think anybody expected them to be this good. Maybe they didn't even think they were going to be this good. So um, a lot of te- a lot of times it's teams like that who just have the, the kind of, ability to i don't know i don't know how to explain it there's no there's almost like no pressure on them to some extent winbet is now the exclusive sponsor for rotowire's fantasy podcast winbet brings you all the latest action with a user-friendly interface money line bets boosted parlays over-unders round robins live betting and so much more all that is at your fingertips with the winbet app want a break from sports betting Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or even try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in nine states. Those nine states are Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia, and it's rapidly expanding. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. Register for WinBet today, make a qualifying deposit, and wager to receive $200 in free bets. Promotion may vary by state. Download WinBet now. That's WinBet, W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for Rotowire's fantasy podcast. Thrive Fantasy is back for another season of fantasy basketball, and they're running guaranteed contests every single day this NBA season. With Thrive Fantasy, you can eliminate the countless hours of research and focus only on the top-tier players who have the biggest impact on the game. Sign up today and you'll get a free six-month Rotowire subscription. Here's how you claim that free Rotowire subscription. Step one, visit rotowire.com slash thrive. That's T-H-R-I-V-E, thrive. 
Step two, deposit a minimum of $10 and you'll receive a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. Step three, play in your first paid contest and you will then receive that free six-month RotoWire subscription. Infinite value with that subscription. You'll get full access to everything on rotowire.com, all sports, all of our optimizers, everything you need to become the best fantasy player and sports better that you can be. Check out thrivefantasy.com to learn more. Thrive Fantasy, an official partner of RotoWire. All right, the Golden State Warriors. We, we did a good like seven minutes on Memphis, so we'll have to trim these down a little bit. Uh, Golden State, 43 and 22, a half game behind the Memphis Grizzlies. They've lost seven of their last eight. They basically forfeited a game in Denver last night. Uh, didn't send Wiggins, Curry, Thompson. Uh, Steve Kerr was not thrilled by the league's decision to reschedule that game for Monday night. It was a, a COVID cancellation from you know way back in December. Uh, but the Warriors are sputtering. Obviously, the, the Draymond Green piece is kind of where you could draw the line of demarcation and say, this team was awesome, and then he got hurt, and things have changed. And I don't know. I, I really don't want to dive into the, like, is Draymond Green actually the Warriors' most important player <laughs> argument? Because I, I think that's been beaten to death. But, I mean, it, it's going back to what we just said, you know, in the intro when we talked about Draymond. Like, if Draymond's healthy, this team is 100% a title contender. If Draymond is not healthy, it's pretty tough to see them getting there. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think there's not, there's not too much else. Curry's been amazing. Um, Wiggins is Wiggins. Thompson's looked nice offensively, but I, I still worry that uh, he just like won't have the legs come playoff time. Uh, the team is my target of defensively, so you know, and yeah. I don't, I don't love their depth. I, I love, I like it. I don't love it. I, I think they, you know, they've they've kind of tried to do the develop on the fly while also being really good technique, and it's pretty tough to pull off. That is a a tightrope that you have to walk. You know, not cashing in any of those assets to improve the immediate roster. Um, there, there are very few teams in the modern NBA that have been able to win like that. I mean, it, it almost always takes some, some form of going all in, whether it's something you do in the off season, something you do at the deadline. Um, you know, it, it's hard to just kind of keep the status quo and, you know, kind of try to please two masters of being a good team seven years from now and also being a good team in the present. And, you know, to their credit, they're still number three in the West, you know, despite what's felt like a disastrous couple of months, but yeah, I mean, it, you'd certainly feel a little bit better if you could have, you know, parlayed, um, I don't know, James Wiseman and Jordan Poole into Bradley Beal. Yeah, I mean, Poole's all right, but you start getting into like Otto Porter and Damian Lee and Bielitsa, and it's just like yeah. very quickly, I'm just like, uh, I guess these guys like fit the system, but mm-hmm. I think they, they're going to have a lot of seven-man rotations. Yeah. Well, here's the other thing too. I mean, outside of Draymond's absence, like Stephen Curry has not been otherworldly Steph Curry this season by any means. He's down to 43% from the field on the year, 37.9% from three. Clay's at right about 37% from three since he's come back. Like, I mean, these are guys like Steph, especially, is in the low to mid 40s typically. Like, in his absolute prime, he shot 45.4% from three on more than 11 attempts per game, which is obviously just complete ludicrous. And that was the year that they won the title uh, before KD showed up. And, you know, if, if those guys are just shooting at slightly above league average percentages as opposed to first ballot hall of fame percentages become a different team. You know, I mean, that's there's yeah with the way that the NBA works in 2022, there's a reasonable amount of guys that can shoot 38% from three. And I don't know if, if Steph is not doing Steph things 10 nights in the playoffs, like that, that considerably lowers their ceiling for me. Yeah. I mean, the league is kind of caught up to what they were doing. 
Um, and I think I, you know, I'm not saying like, I don't know. I mean, what, what Curry and Thompson were doing like five years ago was revolutionary and crazy. And now it's just normal. Like for someone to take 20 shots a game and, you know, 38% from three, it's like really, really good. It's just, it's not completely unheard of anymore. Um, and yeah, Thompson's launching a, a ton too. I, I've been keeping an eye on like Thompson's per 36. He shoots more field goals than Steph Curry per 36 minutes. So he's just firing them up. I, I think he's looked fine offensively. I think the confidence has been there. He had that one big game. Was it was it against the Kings? Uh, like a couple weeks ago where he he had a half where it was like, wow, this is, you know, 2017 Clay Thompson back again. Um, and, and since then, oh, it was against, it was against the Lakers, I think, on February 12th. Yeah, he had five mm-hmm. threes in that game. Uh, yeah. Also had seven threes against the Kings. I don't know which one I was thinking of. But he's, he's had some big games where he's looked like Clay Thompson. But there's, there is something missing there. And, you know, defensively, I, I haven't really watched him close enough. To, to speak definitively on that, but you know, b- based on what you read and what you hear, like he's definitely taken a step back in that regard. Yeah, and you know, even even a little bit's a lot for him because he was like really good, but wasn't like a defensive player of the year candidate. And also, when you're taking seven threes a game, the drop from forty two percent is like your career average to thirty seven percent is actually a lot. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. All right, we are rolling along here. The number four seed in the Western Conference, the Utah Jazz, 40 and 24, 11 games back of the Phoenix Suns, half game up only on the Dallas Mavericks for that five spot. A lot could change. I mean, Denver's only one game behind Dallas, one and a half behind Utah. Um, you know, even Minnesota, not totally out of this, depending on what they do over the last month. But statistically, the most likely outcome in round one would be the Utah Jazz versus the Dallas Mavericks, which I actually think would be a really fun series. I agree. I agree. Donovan Mitchell against uh, Luka Doncic. Um, you know, like the the Jazz are a little more egalitarian. Dallas is very heliocentric. Um, although, I mean, to some extent, Donovan Mitchell is almost becoming like a heliocentric offense within what is supposed to be a more like balanced offense. Like his his playoff performances across the past two seasons have have just been like ridiculous um so his last 17 playoff games 34 points a game on 23 shots so it's 48 from the field 46 from three 88 from the free throw line five assists um it feels like he is just like so he's like on the brink of elevating into like that superstar level like it feels like it's like right there and i'll be interested to see it because if he has another playoffs like this you know, and there's the noise about, oh, does he even want to be in Utah? Um, he might be like one of the most intriguing kind of under the radar guys in the league right now. Yeah, I, I think when you think of guys who really raise their game in the playoffs, like Luca is the guy that everybody talks about just because of what he's done the last two years. But Mitchell has done a pretty reasonable facsimile of that for Utah. And it's, it's been really impressive on an individual basis. I don't know if that's necessarily what you want if you're the Jazz and I, I don't know. I mean, they, they just feel like they kind of feel like the Western conference version of the bucks before they broke through. But right. I just don't, I don't have the same confidence that this team is going to break through, I guess, if, if that makes sense. Like I, I like the starting five. I don't love the depth a ton. I mean, you have a, you know, a guy who runs really hot and really cold in Jordan Clarkson. And other than that, I mean, who is Rudy Gay, I, I guess, technically your seventh man, you know, it's like your backup bigs don't really offer any kind of versatility at all. 
you have another Rudy Gobert type in Whiteside. You have another Whiteside type in Azubuki behind him. Like there's just no, there's no real versatility there. Like you don't, you don't really have a great small ball look where you, you, you basically have to go super small where you're playing like Royce O'Neal or, or Gay or Eric Pascal at center. Um, I don't know. It, it feels like they're going to run into the exact same issues that they've run into the last few years. And Donovan Mitchell's probably going to play really, really well. There's going to be nights where Gobert looks great. It's going to be other nights where he doesn't. And what it comes down to is they don't have that, you know, that third Drew Holiday type of piece. You know, that Mike Conley, this version of Mike Conley is not Drew Holiday. And I, I don't want to like bag on Mike Conley at all, but like this guy's averaging 13 points, three rebounds, five assists. You know, I mean, like, at, at, what is he giving you at this point in his career? Like, I don't, I don't think you could count on Mike Conley as like your third star. You know, I think I feel like he came to Utah a year or two too late. Yeah, Conley's just um he's just kind of turned into he's just a really good point guard now. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you you like it's five assists, yeah, but it's like one point seven turnovers. Like doesn't turn the ball over, makes his good passes, hits his threes. And I agree with you kind of on that assessment of like they feel like Bucks West. The only problem is Donovan Mitchell isn't Giannis and <laughs> uh you know, like Bogdanovich and Mike Conley is not uh that's not Miggle, that's not Middleton and Holiday like you're kind of alluding to and they have Gobert yeah but that makes them a little inflexible so it's hard to say like they built this team bad or wrong or that it like is destined not to work other than the fact that they keep running into the wall for some reason um yeah it's yeah it's a high floor relatively low ceiling team you know, and I, I think especially when you when you start to talk about how it's constructed in the playoffs um, and, and you're right. I mean, it, it it can be as simple as they just don't have arguably the best player in the world on the roster. You know, and, and the Bucks needed every single ounce of Giannis to even get to the finals. Yeah, Giannis had to put up 50 in the game six to win the win the finals. Right. And that it's was easy. stuff broke right for them before that, you know, like the Kevin Durant foot thing on the on the three point line. So yeah. I don't remember that. Nope. Um, yeah. Baron Square. All right. The five seed in the West, the Dallas Mavericks, 40 and 25, half game behind Utah. Uh, what is going on with the Dallas Mavericks right now? It's just, it's all Luka Doncic. I don't, I don't, I don't know how to explain any other, any other way. Like Brunson, I guess, is there also <laughs> doing stuff, trying to earn a max contract or yes. whatever. Um, but yeah, Doncic has been on a, another level, man, since they got rid of uh, Porzingis, um, you know, which basically like freed them up to, not have to give possessions to him because <laughs> he's not on the team anymore, which was like breaking the the Mavericks offense. Um, and there's like, yeah, like this one specific streak that Doncic is on, which is his past 15 games, 34 points on 48, 40, 72 shooting, nine assists, uh, 10 rebounds. Like he's just, he's been a monster and they, they continue to win. Like they're not missing Porzingis at all. They have two losses since uh february 4th yeah they've won 11 so, of 13 yeah so i yeah i mean again, we, we talked about it at the deadline like they sacrificed i think they sacrificed overall talent for a much better fit and it's, it's paid off brilliantly so far it has yeah and it's just i like but i think both you and i like really like luca and think he's amazing and has a chance to be maybe the best player in the nba someday uh, if that's not like practically a guarantee, but like, it's just, it's still shocking what he's able to do with the guys that are just currently around him right now. Yeah. Um, and obviously like I mentioned, like, you know, 
uh, Brunson is a very good player. So I don't want to like say he's got absolutely nobody. Yeah, but he's not that good. I'll, I'll, I will push back on that. He's he's fine. I mean, he's 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 the Mo Williams to LeBron's 2007 LeBron. Right. But it's a lot of Dorian Finney-Smith and Reggie Bullock and Dwight Powell. Uh, you know, Tim Hardaway Jr.'s broken foot. Tim, Tim Hardaway Jr. is not even playing. Right. Um, so it's it's crazy how yeah. what, what they're putting together. I think this is also like a revelation for Jason Kidd also. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start workshopping a Dwight Powell-J.J. Hickson comparison. So just yeah, <laughs> stay tuned for that at some point. The Denver Nuggets, 39-26 and 26 in the Western Conference. They are 12 and a half games back of the Suns. I mean, Jokic just continues to be Jokic, obviously, and, and nothing surprising. I mean, all of his teammates uh, after that massive game uh, against the Pelicans on Sunday, like nobody was shocked. Everybody was just like, yeah, this is basically what we expect from this guy. And then last night he turns around on the second half of a difficult back-to-back and throws up 32, 15, and 13. You know, Embiid went for 43 last night. I I am 100% split on MVP at this point. And Giannis is still very much lurking, although it just feels like the narrative is not with Giannis right now for whatever reason. Um, but whether you want to talk Jokic MVP or, or otherwise, um, what are your thoughts on the Nuggets at this moment? Uh, Nuggets are amazing, man. This is, this is, it's very similar to like the Doncic and Dallas situation where Jokic just has so little help and he just continues to make things happen. And they are on a great win streak right now where they've, you know, they have two losses since February 6th. Uh, I honestly, at this point, I think the main thing is just, it, it, it's fun to see how, on one hand, it's fun to see how far can Jokic drag this team through the playoffs by himself. On the other hand, uh, it sounds like Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal, uh, Murray are coming back and how much ramp up time they have. Obviously that puts a way different ceiling on this team. Yeah. It sounds like we're going to see MPJ before we see Jamal Murray. You know, he's ramping up much quickly or much more quickly uh, than we expected. And I think he's going to play in the G League a little bit, at least practice with the G League. And I I think he could potentially be back in the lineup, probably not this week, but maybe by the middle of next week. Uh, Denver plays four games next week. And if he comes back, say, you know, next Friday at Cleveland, that would give him one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 games that he could potentially play in. before the playoffs and there's no back-to-backs included in that sample at all. So he could potentially play in all 12 of those games, which kind of like Dylan Brooks, I I get feels like the perfect amount of games where you would go into round one, feeling like this guy is probably about as close to hundred percent as he's going to get. 10 games is a, is a good amount of time. Yeah, man. I mean, Michael Porter jr. For all of his flaws is an amazing knockdown shooter. We saw him have some awesome performances in the playoffs and any help is, is good because their rotation again is, is pretty weak right now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The Minnesota Timberwolves. Seventh in the Western Conference, 37 and 29, 15 games back of the Suns, two and a half games behind Denver for six. They are full three games clear of the LA Clippers uh, for eighth. So it, it's looking very likely at this point that Minnesota will finish seventh, the Clippers will finish eighth. And it's, I mean, the Lakers at this point are probably going to finish 10th. I would, I would assume that the Pelicans pass them up. Um, but Minnesota likely locked into, I guess, the top seed, we could call it, in the play in tournament. I think if you're if you're Minnesota, you despite everything that's going on with the Lakers, you'd you'd still much rather play the Pelicans in that seven ten matchup. <laughs> uh yeah, a hundred percent yes, because I don't think LeBron would let himself lose to like D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns. I, I, I just think I can't see that happening. I know, yeah, because Anthony Davis comes if Anthony Davis gets smoked by Towns and then LeBron gets smoked by like D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards, that's just uh not a good look for either of them. Uh, but yeah, Minnesota, I, I think for them, uh, you know, their defense started off incredibly hot and then it's kind of tapered off. And I, again, for me, I, they're, I think they have a really good six or seven man rotation. And then after that, things get like pretty questionable. Like they're starting five, they're Russell Beverly Edwards, Vanderbilt towns starting five is plus 17 per 100 possessions. And then their third most used lineup is minus 19 per 100 possessions, which basically just features Beasley instead of Anthony Edwards. Um, And there's some like, they have a lot of like, these lineups are amazing. These lineups are bad. So I think they're going to have to like really push the starters. I like their team overall. I think they have a good like team concept and a lot of offensive talent. So I'm intrigued by them. I'm very intrigued by them. And you know, they are one of those teams that it feels like they could beat anybody on any night. It also feels like there are nights where, you know, Anthony Edwards just doesn't have it. I mean, he, he scored like fewer than 10 points in three straight games in February at one point. It was just in this horrific shooting slump. So even though it feels like he's kind of taken another leap in year two, um, you know, the consistency is, is still somewhat of an issue. 
I don't know that I'll ever trust D'Angelo Russell. Uh, and I love Towns. Like, everybody loves Towns, especially for fantasy. But, I mean, we have really no sample uh, of him in the playoffs other than I think that one year did, – did they make it? Like, I remember they played in the play-in. It was yeah. like a tie for the eight-seed game. And yes. I believe they ended up getting swept out around round one, right? Uh, they, they played five games. Oh, they played five. Yeah, okay. they, yeah right. they played five games. Okay, so yeah, we, have, we have five games worth and... of the sample for Towns. Yeah, and that was in 2017-18. He averaged like 15 and 13 and didn't shoot that well. But again, that's like a <laughs> that was like four years ago. Yeah. Uh, so you're right. We do have no time. I he he deserves to have a, a playoff sample size. So it's nice that he'll be in. I I kind of want the Timberwolves to do well. Like they have a fun roster. That's for sure. Um, you know, if, if they end up playing the Lakers, I you know obviously as a, a lifelong LA resident and and Lakers fan, I wouldn't be able to root for them in that scenario. But they're sitting pretty. I mean, if it, you could be, we could be looking at Memphis, Minnesota in round two, which I think, I think Memphis would feel pretty good about that and should feel pretty good about that. But that would be an incredibly entertaining series to watch. I agree. Like two up and coming teams, kind of Towns versus, I don't even know what they would, would they market it as Towns versus Moran or Anthony Edwards versus Moran? I don't, it almost feels like Edwards has become more famous, I guess, even though right. Towns is still definitely the better player. But I, I mean, it, it's Towns' team, but I mean, part of the part of the issue with Towns is that he's not necessarily the type of guy who's going to make it known that t- that it's his team. You know, with whether it's with his play or the way that he commands a locker room, like it, it just seems like personality-wise, Towns is probably okay being the best player, but not necessarily being the face of the operation. Right, like it's his team, but they haven't won anything while it's his team, so that yeah. kind of that kind of puts a damper on it. Yeah, maybe it's good that it's not his team right now. It's like it, once once they start winning, then maybe he could claim that it's his team. The <laughs> LA Clippers, the eight seed in the West, thirty four and thirty two. Uh, again, a pretty decent drop from Minnesota at seven to the Clippers at eight. Three games separating those two teams. I, I just feel like the Clippers are an incomplete and have been an incomplete the entire season. And every time we talk about them, it's well. If Kawhi comes back, if Paul George comes back, then we'll talk. But they're running out of time. Yeah, I don't know what else to say about them other than that. Because if those guys are in, then they could win the title. No reason that they couldn't if they're healthy. Um, but as constructed, I almost don't even pay attention to them because why? Well, right. I mean, it, it just seems like one of those things where it's like, is it worth evaluating this team and, and putting the time yeah, in, yeah. you know, staying up late to watch them, you know, get blown out by the dicks at 11 p.m. at night. But yeah, it, we just need we just need an answer, and I don't know why I ever expected that we'd get an answer, considering that we're dealing with Kawhi Leonard. But I don't know. Like, at, at what point do you officially say, I you know, it, like if Kawhi tries to come back for like round one of the playoffs without any kind of reconditioning, like I just don't, I don't see that going well. Like, I, I think for me, he has to come back. I, I'll, I'm going to set the official deadline right now. He needs to be back <laughs> by March 31st. They play okay. at Chicago that day. If he's not back by March 31st, and that would give him six games potentially to to play in and one of those is back-to-back so probably five games before the playoffs if he's not back by then we're done talking about him right and there's always a chance you end up playing like phoenix in the first round so yeah, very good chance <laughs> I, I that's that's not great either so i agree with you it's kind of incomplete i i don't want to discuss like oh reggie jackson's having a great season and marcus morris luke Kennard. it's like why are we I, I can only point. take so many, like Marcus Morris, 19 points, two rebounds, one assist, zero steals, <laughs> zero blocks, six of 14 from the field. Like it's, it's the same every single night. Um, the LA Lakers, 28 and 36. 
uh, just lost without LeBron last night to the Spurs. Uh, obviously, LeBron had one of his best games in a Lakers uniform, arguably his best um, in quite a while, 56 points uh, in a come-from-behind win against the Warriors on Saturday. It kind of feels like that's what the second half of the season has been. It's just been like these random kind of semi-historic LeBron nights where he's either breaking some sort of longevity record or he's going for 56. And he's, he's a master at separating himself from the chaos that's been going on. Uh, he somehow like never, he just finds ways to never have to comment on like the Russell Westbrook situation, which I continue to give him an immense amount of credit for like, there really haven't even been that many eye rolls or like sitting by himself on the bench situations this year. Um, like he, he seems like a little more content to ride this out than I think he would have been four or five years ago. I think it's tougher too when I think he sort of views Westbrook as like a peer. It's not like he's yeah. surrounded by like those early Cavs teams where he was like completely fine, like disassociating with like Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, uh, like, I'm never going to talk to you again. Yeah. The, the weird thing about the Lakers is they actually like, they have some groups that play well. It's just that it's not who you would think would play well. And it's just like a lot of the combinations you would think would work, would work. And then there's the, you know, the occasional, like maybe more than occasional, like terrible Westbrook game. And then sometimes he plays really well because he's Westbrook and he can still play well, but then they might not win. So then people just don't care. Like if Westbrook posts 20 points, nine rebounds, nine assists on efficient shooting and a loss, people are going to be like, well, who cares? They lost. Um, so it's, it's tough, man. I, they're trying to the LeBron at center thing. I, that viable when Davis isn't around, I don't know. I don't know. I see. I, I think what's the difference here, and this is even the difference from now versus like midseason. Like Westbrook was having some pretty legitimately good games in November and December. He had four straight triple doubles at one point at the end of December. But I mean, even even those games are just not happening anymore. Like he has not scored more than twenty points in any game in fourteen games, all the way back on January twenty eighth was the last time he scored more than twenty points. He has no triple doubles. He really hasn't even come close uh, to any triple doubles since like early January, the assist numbers are way down. The rebounding numbers are just good. Not great. Um, you know, the defensive numbers have, have never really been fantastic with him, but when he was at his best, like he was racking up a bunch of steals just because he was so aggressive. The turnovers are terrible. Um, I mean, those since his last plus point game over his last 13, he's averaging 15 points, 6.8 rebounds, six assists, shooting 39% from the field, 17% from three, with three and a half turnovers per game. I mean, it's been, it's been disastrous, you know, and, and some of those games LeBron has missed, like even last night, you're playing a, a, a reduced Spurs team that is essentially trying to lose at this point. And, you know, Westbrook just doesn't, he doesn't have that gear. Like, you know, you, you could say that it's tough for him to play alongside LeBron. It's, you know, he doesn't know his fit with LeBron and Davis. Like those guys were not on the court last night and Russell Westbrook scored 17 points like that. The reason you have Russell Westbrook is so he doesn't score 17 points in those situations. You know, this is when he was supposed to score, go for a 38, 14 and 14 and drag you to a win. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm like starting to feel bad now. I I'm think, <laughs> I mean, anybody who's listened to this podcast for a while knows that like, I've been pretty down at Westbrook for a while. Like his playoff numbers have been terrible the past, like five seasons, just efficiency and, um, all of that. I just, uh, I don't know. This is starting to feel like I just don't even know where his career goes. Um, it's, he's going to be in the mellow zone. I, yeah. Well, I'm trying to think of like another player. I don't think mellow did mellow fall off this hard. Even 
I mean, uh, it was a little I, more gradual, I guess, for Melo. But it, similarly, Melo, I think, refused to acknowledge what was going on. And that's, well, yeah. that is by far what the most frustrating thing is about this. I was once again ranting to James last night on Slack um, about Westbrook. And it's like, like, I thought LeBron was the least self-aware player in the league, but Westbrook has, has far surpassed him at this point. Like, it's, it's absolutely insane. Like, you can say what you want. LeBron has been extremely non-self-aware about a number of things, but he always, always, always backs it up with his play. And Westbrook has kind of been able to do the same and coast for much of his career. It's like, you can, you can be a, a dick to reporters. You can say whatever you want. You can claim you're the best player in the league, but if you're going out there and you're winning MVPs and you're leading your team to playoff games right. and you're averaging double doubles, like then you can kind of get away with it. Once that stops, you have to either change your behavior or acknowledge it. And he's done neither of those things. I think this is, this is starting to feel like a little late career Iverson to me. Oh, big time. Where yeah. like Iverson. So when Iverson was 32 years old, which is how old Westbrook was last year, Iverson averaged 26 points, seven assists, two steals, uh, and shot like 46% of the field. Great season. Three years later, he was playing in Turkey. Out of the league, just playing in Turkey. Like could not play in the NBA anymore. And Westbrook, again, last year, you know, 22, 12, and 12. Decent shooting numbers, 44%, you know? And now this year it's bad. And I'm not going to say Westbrook's playing in Turkey in two years, but it's a yeah. pretty steep decline over the past two seasons for Westbrook. It's not, you know, again, yeah. we're kind of beating a dead horse. We saw, we should have seen this coming miles away. And I think most people did. And the Lakers, for whatever reason, did not. But though, to be fair, I mean, Westbrook ended last season on a really high note. He played super well for the last like three months with the Wizards. And it, it wasn't blatantly obvious that he was going to drop off this much individually. Like the fit was always going to be bad. The Lakers are, are kind of dumb for thinking that they could figure this out. But I, I think that's the biggest thing is he, you, you could say like in Houston or, or in, in Washington, um, you know, he was basically still the same guy. Like there were, there were reasons that he kept moving teams. You know, he's not a winning player, never has been a winning player, but he was at least like, he could still go get you 30, 10 and 10, basically whenever he wanted. Like he's very clearly lost that ability. I think that's what's pretty scary if you're the Lakers who still have him under contract next year. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know what they're going to do in the offseason. I, yeah. I guess you just ship him to somewhere. Yeah. Who, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's going to his the bottom of his basketball reference page is going to look a lot like Mellow's and a lot like Iverson's, where it's just, you know, I mean, if he goes to a new team next year, that'll be what, five teams in five years? Yeah. And I mean, you even mentioned he he started to play well at the end of last year. Still shot 33% from the field in the playoffs. So, not great. Not ideal. No, and it, it's going it's to be interesting because Iverson, I mean, I'm try, I, I don't really remember it quite that well. Like, I was in high school at the time. I wasn't, like, super in the weeds on the NBA. But it feels like Iverson was kind of starting to break down a little bit more. Like, physically, Russ still looks great. It's like the the, the mental-physical connection, obviously, is just not there. You know, like he he's – broken in some ways with his finishing and his shooting. Um, there was like the, the 50th, like sad viral video of the year with him last night, where I don't know if you saw this one where he was, he was trying to do an off the backboard dunk in pregame warmups. And he just threw the ball over the backboard completely. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah. But... So some, something's going on there. And I, I don't know. Like, can you picture him in two years from now, like giving a team, 22 really good minutes off the bench. Like, I just can't see that. Like it, it does feel like with Iverson, um, Iverson and Westbrook, it was like, Hey, I'm doing it my way until the bitter end. And even if that means that my career is going to go down in flames for the last year or two, then so be it. 
Right. Yeah. All right. All right. I'm coming off. The New Orleans all Pelicans. Right. That's all I got to say. <laughs> 27 and 37, 24 games back of the one seed, just one game behind the Lakers. Uh, and again, I would, I would bet on the Pelicans to overtake the Lakers based on what we've seen from these two teams. I, I remain not convinced that this team has any chance to, you know, upset Phoenix or upset Memphis in round one. I, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but I mean, it, it, things seem to be generally moving in the right direction. I, I think the trade acquiring McCollum, uh, moving Devontae Graham to the bench was massive for this team. They, they just put a better product on the floor uh, for the majority of minutes without Devontae Graham out there. But um, it, it all just comes down to Zion, right? And we, we still, we just keep getting these updates that aren't really updates. Um, he's allegedly been cleared for basketball activities over the weekend. Uh, although we, we really don't know what that means. Like he, he hasn't been practicing. Um, I don't know. Like right now, would you, would you say, like, how do you feel about the chances that we see Zion in any game this season, whether it's at the end of the regular season or in the playoffs? I do not feel good about it. And no, I stopped neither. feeling good about it a long time ago. Um, like you mentioned, every update's bad. Every update that seems good is followed by an update that's bad. So, um, yeah, I mean, this seems a little interesting now with McCollum. Like, they're again, they've been playing 500 ball for a while, and I just don't see them winning a playoff series. It's almost like the Clippers to me, where it's like, this is all right. Like, this is sort of interesting because I think they are exceeding expectations to an extent, but just without their best player, it doesn't feel like it's that compelling at all. No, not at all. I, I think their team that's probably going to play some fun games over the next month. And we're going to, I mean, everything comes down to Zion for the entire franchise. Like it, everything pivots on that. So I, I think people are going to be a lot more interested in Zion Williamson updates than like, Hey, we're making a run for the nine seed, you know, by the, by the end of the playoffs um, or by the end of the regular season, I should say. Uh, we have five teams left. The Portland trailblazers currently 11th in the Western conference, uh, rapidly doing everything they can to lose as many games as possible uh, seemingly by as many points as possible. Like some of their their recent results have been pretty comical. Uh, a 132-95 loss to the Warriors, a 124-92 loss to the Nuggets, a 30-point loss to Phoenix, a 14-point loss to the Timberwolves in which they gave up 135. And most recently, last night, I guess the Timberwolves again, uh, losing by 43 points in Minnesota. Uh, but you look at the, the rotations that Portland is throwing out right now, and we've even gotten to the point where Josh Hart is getting rest nights. Uh, Anthony Simons essentially rested last night. Um, I mean, this is this is right up there with some of those lineups that like the Thunder have been throwing out over the last couple of seasons. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I was talking to Shannon last night, and he was telling me about like his FanDuel lineup, and oh. I'm like, I'm thinking about Portland. He's telling me about the Portland guys he's rostering. And we're kind of going down the list. Like I'm like, I don't know how this team gets to 90 points every night. Like they're like one of the few teams that I look at their roster and I'm like, there's no way this team is scoring 90 points. So, and they barely have, they, yeah. they're barely averaging 90 points a game. I mean, they, Minnesota gave up a lot of points to them the other day, but um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know what to say about this because Simons is the only moderately interesting person on this roster. Like, I guess Josh Hart at this point is like kind of intriguing, but we also I feel like know who he is. Um, and like, and now Simons isn't even playing that well because they're in so many blowouts. It's like, why play him that much? And at the same time, 
if you're an opposing defense, why care about anybody else on this roster except Anthony Simons? So uh, it's just getting, I think, more difficult for him. Yeah, and we also need to remember who we're talking about here, which is Anthony Simons. You know, it's like this, this. It's not like it's Dame Lillard surrounded by these guys. Like Anthony Simons is looking significantly better, which is great. But he's at the end of the day, he's still Anthony Simons. You know, and it, it, I think a lot of the reasons that you know he's putting up these numbers are just he's literally the only option, and things are being funneled through him. Um, I mean, even like the players that they're surrounding him with right now are. It's not like they're like veterans who bounced around and who kind of know what they're doing. I mean, it's guys who have like not played at all. You know, Elijah Hughes, yeah. CJ Ellaby, Greg Brown, Trendon Watford is now starting at power forward with Justice Winslow out. Um, I don't know. It, it, it does seem like we could look up at the end of or like in mid-April and be like, wow, the Blazers have lost like 19 out of 20 to end the year. Uh, I would be surprised if they didn't. Let's put it that way. Right. Right. And that's I mean, they're doing exactly what they're trying to do Uh, last eight games, by the way, minus 15.4 net rating. That is by far the worst in the league, a defensive rating of 118, which is third last in the league, somehow ahead of only Brooklyn and golden state, ironically, and by far the worst offensive rating in the league. 102.6. Yeah. And a lot of that was buoyed by the the Minnesota game. So you take that out and they're going to be closer to 90. Uh, All right, perhaps the least interesting team in the league right now, the San Antonio Spurs, 25 and 40, kind of in the dead zone. Like they, they have not gone full Portland where they're they're attempting to lose every game by 40 points, but they also did not go full New Orleans and kind of make this like half-hearted push for a play-in spot. They're, they're stuck in the middle. They seem content to, you know, Pop's win is going to make him the winningest coach ever. Obviously, that's a goal. Um, you know, maybe after he gets that, we'll, we'll start to see a little bit more kind of stealth tanking down the stretch. Uh, but they they seem to just be content to play out the string and end up probably picking seventh or eighth in the draft. Yeah. I mean, it's it's awesome what we've got to see DeJounte Murray do. Um, he's been incredible. I think the Derek White trade was really smart. Um, you know, I didn't really like that contract that much in the first place, so getting off of it and getting really nice picks back from Boston was awesome. Opening up time for Vassell, who's interesting. Um Zach Collins has been playing basketball. I, I don't really yes. have any more thoughts on this first than that, honestly. Yeah. All right. This is a good time to, to save some time then. The Sacramento Kings, 24 and 43. The Halliburton-Sabonis swap you know, kind of shook things up, gave us some talking points. Ultimately, has not changed anything for the Kings. Who could, who could have seen this coming? Um, I, I can't stop thinking about this trade. Every once in a while, I get, I get like – roped into a Twitter thread about this trade where it will be like, you know, Kings since acquiring Sabonis Pacers and then the Pacers record since acquiring uh, Tyrese Halliburton. And it's, you know, more or less the same. And then yep. people in the, in the comments, just arguing uh, and, you know, Kings fans being like, well, yeah, see, it's like not that bad of a trade. Like it just, you know, like, it's not like the Kings are really, or it's not like the Pacers are succeeding without, uh, you know, without Sabonis, like they have, and the Pacers fans are like, well, uh, we're trying to lose, uh, and you are losing as many games as we are. So, yeah, man, it, it just it continues to be one of the most baffling trades in recent memory to me. I, I just <laughs> that's such an amazing, like, perfect encapsulation of a Twitter argument of like, well, you guys also suck, yeah, but we're at we're trying to suck, and you're not trying to suck. <laughs> yeah, okay, so like. I, I just pulled up the Demonis Sabonis, De'Aaron Fox on court numbers. Okay. 
They're minus four per 100 possessions. So that's bad. I, I like I terrible on defense, you know, so it's 125 points in offense, 121 points on defense. Uh, or excuse me, 117, and 121. I'm looking at the wrong thing. It doesn't, the numbers don't matter. They're just not very good. And they traded away a guy who's easily, easily averaging 20 and 10, uh, an efficient 20 and 10 for Sabonis. I just don't get it, man. I really don't get it. Bizarre, bizarre stuff, as always, from the Kings. All right, we got two teams left. Uh, I, I think for future reference, we need to go from the bottom up. Like, it's, it's really depressing, like, talking about the team. Like, we had so many <laughs> thoughts on Phoenix and Memphis and Golden State, and we're just, like, exhausted by even the thought of talking about the Spurs or the Kings. Uh, but here we are. No, nevertheless, the OKC Thunder, 20 and 44, uh, still maintaining, like, reasonable respectability, mostly due, due to SGA, you know, playing in most games this year. Um, like when they, they basically announced publicly, like, Hey, we're going to really suck for these next couple of years. I, I mean, I, I thought it was possible given some of the, you know, the alignments that they were throwing out there that you know, this could be a team that could challenge for like the all-time loss record. And they, they haven't been as kind of like, there was, there were times last year where they were like sneaky good for, for weeks, long stretches. And they haven't really necessarily been, been that this season, but I mean, they're probably going to finish with 20 to 25 wins, which in a season where your you know all of your center minutes have basically gone to Isaiah Roby, Olivier Saar, Alexi <laughs> Pokashevsky, Jeremiah Robinson, Earl, and Mike Muscala. Uh, not not terrible overall. Like they're they're accomplishing their goal of getting another high pick, and I don't think they have completely crossed the line where you're putting like an abominable product on the court. Yeah, I mean, like the problem with the equation of like the T, the Thunder potentially challenging for the worst record ever is that SGA is very good and. Lou Dort's also definitely a rotation player. Uh, like they actually have, you know, I, I don't know if you want, everyone feels differently about SGA. He's like, I mean, he's, he's playing amazing right now, but um, they really haven't been taking for that long. You know, I've seen some Thunder beat writers come out and be like, Hey man, we were in the playoffs like two years ago. Like we like <laughs> Chris Paul, Chris Paul was on this team two years ago and they were like playing amazing. They went to a set, they did a seven game series. So like, I, they really haven't been taking for that long. No, they really haven't. We, I mean, you'd almost rather, you'd rather have this strategy, right? Where you're, you're upfront with your fans and you're, you're kind of, and, and basketball fans are just smart enough now where it's like, you'd rather, you'd almost always rather be the 14 seed in the West than the nine or the eight, even in, in a lot of cases, um, so it's an easier sell. Like by comparison, you could be the Kings who have been like trying as hard as possible to be good for 20 years and have <laughs> had the same result, you know? Yeah. And also trade away their, one of the best young prospects in the NBA for a guy who's capped out as a borderline all-star. Uh, all right. The Houston Rockets 16 and 49 currently tied with the Orlando magic for the worst record in the league. Um, I, I guess one success for the NBA with the, you know, switching up the lottery odds is like, there's no longer this, like, I, I felt like I, we used to have to monitor like the race to the bottom. It was a big deal to finish with the worst record. And the NBA has definitely curbed that, uh, but it's going to be a three team race. I think between Detroit, Orlando and Houston, um, kind of a sad year for the Rockets. I, I think it feels like, it feels like it did even, like we knew they were going to be really bad. We knew they would probably be this bad. You know, we're talking likely sub 20 wins. Um, and Jalen green has started to look better of late. That's, that's kind of been a nice silver lining, but um, I, I thought, you know, coming into the year, there was a chance that we would look back and we'd say, yeah, they only won 20 games, but 
man, Jalen Green looks like he's going to be the next superstar. And he, he's still very well, maybe. There's definitely going to be a leap at some point. But, um, you know, the fact that we're now looking at him as like the fourth or fifth best rookie in the class feels like it, it has to be kind of a disappointment for Houston. I think so. Um, at the same time, he is barely 20 years old, celebrated his 20th birthday on February 9th. Um, like you mentioned he's been playing better, still an insane athlete, still passes the eye test to me. Um, you know, I think if I, I think sometimes we have unrealistic expectations for like 19 year old rookies, especially of like this kind of ilk, but I I'm sure fans were also hoping for more of like Sangoon also, who is like stuck behind Christian Wood, who I understand they, maybe they tried to trade him. Maybe they didn't. I don't have no idea what his market is. Um, and I know Sangoon's like a foul trouble guy and all that stuff, but um, I, I definitely would have liked to see, you know, and I also don't know how they feel about Kevin Porter Jr. Like, is he really part of their plans? Um, he should be. I, I don't know, man. So it's like, I feel like they, they, and maybe I'm projecting, but like, it just feels like they, they have so many like conflicting. It feels like they almost have two rebuilds going like, like there's a Kevin Porter Jr. Christian Wood rebuild happening. And there's yeah. also a Jalen Green, Elperin, Shangoon rebuild happening. And but they don't they don't feel like they fit together at all. It's not like, well, if these guys all peak at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh so it's just I it's it's tough to watch. I, I there are just too many red flags with Kevin Porter, and we don't we don't have to get into that. But I just he he's in a lot of ways like the guard version of Christian Wood, where it's like it's these guys that <laughs> We, we see like there's versions of these guys that come along every few years and it's just, they look great on a bad team. And then you put them in a situation where there are real expectations and, you know, you, you really have to buckle down and it just, it just doesn't work, you know? And I pairing those guys together, like if you're trying to lose games, great. But I mean, what it, Christian Wood is what, like 27 already. It's not like this guy is 19. Yeah. You know, like you, you have this weird, this weird core. I mean, there's a reason that Kevin Porter fell all the way in, in the draft where he was. It's, it's not like they're, giving like the number two overall pick a second chance. Like he had major red flags coming out of college. I'd, I, I just can't imagine that if, and when the Rockets are back to being a team that's contending for playoffs in the Western conference, I don't think that Christian Wood or Kevin Porter jr. Are going to be a part of that core when that happens. I don't think so either. Um, trying to find Christian Wood's contract. He's expiring contract next year. So I'm sure they get rid of him. Yeah. But they should hundred percent be a team trying to, ironically trying to take on crime contracts like Christian Wood and just not play him or whatever. But um, yeah. And Kevin Porter is on his rookie deal. So they're gonna have to make a decision on him soon. Maybe they just won't resign him at all. But yeah, I mean, I still think, I, I think if you're a Rockets fan, you have to be, I think you're still going to be excited about Jalen Green and Sangoon and the fact that you're, you're going to get another really nice pick in this draft. I think, I think, it's not a bad rebuild so far. It's just a little confusing, yeah. but it's not bad. That is what I would be most excited about. If I could add Chet Holmgren or Jabari Smith or Paolo Bancaro or, or even Jaden Ivey to this core, like that, that would excite me. That That's the number one thing I'm excited about. And that speaks to, you know, some of the shortcomings of Jalen Green and just how good some of those top prospects are. But I mean, you're, you're going to get another shot at it. You know, like at worst, you're going to be picking third or fourth in the draft. You're going to get another big time young prospect to add to this core. And I don't know how, how much you've dug into this draft yet, but I, th- I think the top four or five is going to be really fun. Like you have not all five are going to pan out, but they're all really exciting players uh, in really different ways. 
All right, glad we made it through those final four teams. I'll even throw the Blazers in there. That was that was a bit of a slog getting through <laughs> the bottom of the West, but it, it weirdly does feel like. Do you think officially the tides have turned? Where remember, like two or three years ago, people were saying like the teams were just begging to go to the like top sixteen team playoff format instead of eight and eight because the West was just so strong and it was never going to change. Like, does it officially feel like either the East is stronger or we're at least back to even? I think so. I think so. I mean, even if you just take it by like top MVP candidates, you have two in the East and two in the West, right? You know, Jokic, Embiid, Giannis, Morant. So I think that alone kind of tells you it's, it's a little more even. And then, yeah, we talked about, yeah, again, with the East, it feels like there's six teams that all have a chance, maybe six or seven, but in a more positive way than we feel like maybe six or seven teams have a chance in the West. Like, like Phoenix really feels like the team that's out ahead and Golden State when they have Draymond and then everyone else, like there's kind of Memphis, but mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. I mean, East East is far more, um, I think there's a lot more possibilities with the East. Right. I, I think if you were to do, if you were to say like, all right, let's draft teams that you would want to win the finals, kind of like we did on this pod a month or so ago, like out of the West, like Phoenix and Golden State would probably be my first two picks and Memphis is in there somewhere. But then, I mean, there are, you know, Miami, Philly, Milwaukee, Boston, Brooklyn, Chicago. You could even maybe throw Cleveland in there. Um, like, I, I, obviously, those teams have to play each other and knock each other out in the conference. So that's what, what kind of muddies the waters a little bit. But I, I do feel like even with the presence of, of Jokic, a, a team like Utah that's been really good, at least in the regular season, like I, I think the one through seven, at least, and, and we're kind of bumping the nets into that. Um, I think that's much stronger this year in the East than in the West. I agree for sure. All right, man. Thanks for hopping on. I know we have a long, long night of uh, covering what six games in the association tonight. We got a massive 12 game slate on Wednesday. Um, so make sure you're checking out rotowire.com slash basketball for all of our gambling DFS season long content uh, coming up on a month remaining in what has been a very long NBA season. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.